Chapter 20, Land Use Controls and Property Development. Uh, please read this uh, chapter thoroughly through at least one time. But I'm going to cover what I think are the major topics and concepts uh, and uh, information that you'll need to know both for your final examination as well as those kinds of things that are tested on the state exam. So even, even though I'm going to sort of summarize this chapter with the high points, uh, I do want you to at least one time have read this thoroughly all the way through and certainly taken the quiz questions uh, either, uh, either or at the end of the chapter or the ones I'm going to give you uh, with your program too. So page 406 begins our discussion of land use controls. How is land controlled here in the state of Illinois? There are three broad areas of control over our land. They lie with public restrictions, with private restrictions, and with lands that are owned by the public. Public restrictions are sometimes referred to as policing powers or police powers of the government. And there are three categories of public restrictions or police powers. There are zoning ordinances, building codes, and environmental legislations. Now we're going to talk about zoning ordinances and building codes in this chapter. Uh, environmental legislation we'll talk about in detail in chapter 22. So here are our policing powers of the government. We're also going to talk about later in this chapter private restrictions. How do private individuals restrict the land and the use of the land? And we'll find that owners can restrict the use of their land. And we generally think in terms of developers. Uh, as they develop land, they will put restrictions on uh, subsequent owners of the properties that they're, uh, and parcels that they're developing. And then lands owned by the public. Uh, the public um, owns lands like governmental buildings and municipal buildings, schools. Uh, your book talks about military bases, uh, recreational areas, conservation areas, state parks, uh, your local parks and your local cities. Uh, the, by owning property, the government can also control how it's uh, used, uh, properties that it owns. Now those public restrictions, those police powers that we talked about, include zoning ordinances, building codes, and as we mentioned, environmental legislation. Um, where does the power to use these policing powers come from? It comes from the state of Illinois, which is the holder of all power over all lands within the borders of the state of Illinois. And what the state of Illinois has done is pass those powers on to other units of government through what are called enabling acts. Enabling acts is where the state allows this authority to what are called non-home rule municipalities. We're going to find out that home rule municipalities have these rights as a result of being home rule units. So the enabling acts for, you know, not to get too detailed with this, but these enabling acts then pass on the um, powers of policing a land, a zoning, building codes, environmental legislations to the local municipalities. And by the way, municipalities can include counties and towns, cities, villages. Let's talk a little bit about 
these home rule units. We'll learn a couple rules first and we'll talk a little bit about what that means to be a home rule unit of government. Um, first of all, any municipality uh, over 25,000 is automatically considered a home rule unit if they choose to be one. If you're under 25,000 population in your municipality or in your county, then you actually have to have a referendum to vote that in. Uh, townships can't be home rule units. Counties and cities can. Uh, by the way, the only county that I know of in Illinois is uh, Cook County, which is a home rule county. Uh, I don't think there's any other counties in Illinois. And cities in Illinois, I don't know the exact number, but some cities are home rule and some cities aren't. It's always kind of an interesting idea to find out if your city is or isn't a home rule unit of government. Uh, now, why would a county or a city one or as a municipality want to become a home rule unit because they become more powerful. Uh, the Illinois Constitution says that any home rule unit of government can exercise any power and perform any function pertaining to its government and its affairs. So that includes the regulation of land, it includes uh, some enforcement of uh, misdemeanors uh, as far as uh, the, the court systems, uh, and it includes uh, some other, uh, you know, rights, but broader rights as a home rule versus a non-home rule unit of government. The big reason I give it, and your book fails to really mention this, because this is the reason why most municipalities do seek home rule, it gives them greater taxing powers. As a home rule unit of government, you can tax your retailers, you can tax hotels and motels, you can tax gasoline, you can tax cigarettes and of course property taxes and uh, home rule units uh, don't have to uh, abide by the uh, current uh, Illinois Constitution 5% cap on uh, the uh, uh, on the property taxes which was tied to a rate of inflation if you're a non-home rule unit uh, if you want to go beyond that 5% cap you have to have go by referendum if you're a home rule unit, you're not susceptible to that 5% cap. So sometimes people say, wait a minute, we've got this 5% cap on property taxes. How come my taxes are going up beyond that? Because you're probably in a home rule unit and you're able to, they're able to tax you beyond it. And then you might be able to tax uh, food and beverage, maybe amusement taxes. There's all kinds of great taxes that you can now levy on your local population as a home rule versus a non-home rule unit of a government. Uh, usually we have a large comprehensive plan in a particular area, uh, we, if you will, a large zoning plan uh, that might cover a region or maybe a city. It calls for certain types of uses of land that would be uh, allowed or prohibited. Uh, the housing needs of present and anticipated residents are put into the plan where we see growth happening and what kinds of uses we should allow for in our master plan. Uh, we take into account where people are moving to and uh, what kinds of uh, businesses uh, uh, that they're, we're going to need, uh, what kinds of goods and services our, our citizens will need, where they're going to get them, where we should locate them. Any community facilities, schools, governmental offices, post offices, where should we put those? Where should our utilities be located? How do we get services to, the pub to our, our, our people? Uh, we need to take into account any ener energy conservation measures. 
uh, zoning laws are, are typically local laws and they're granted to uh, local bodies through what are called enabling acts. Enabling acts are state laws that transfer the right from zoning to the state to individual uh, uh, local municipalities. They regulate the use of land and sometimes the structures that can be built on land, the types of uses primarily. So zoning regulates uh, lot sizes, types of structures, building heights, setback lines, style and appearance, density, protection of natural resources. And uh, when we go to either build property or we go to purchase property, we ha have to take into account the zoning regulations and whether or not we want to be encumbered by them. Chapter 19, Land Use Controls and Property Development. Uh, first of all, we have public land use controls. This is where the government on a federal, state, or local level, level is allowed to control our personal, our property, uh, in addition to the rights that we have as owners, then we hold those rights subject to the rights of the public, if you will the public being their best interest being represented by a governmental body, federal, state, or local. Uh, we, the, the federal, state, and local bodies of government have the rights to do this uh, based on the Constitution that says uh, they are there to promote the public health, wealth, welfare, and safety. So uh, with all real property in addition to the rights of owners, we have to also recognize there are rights of the government. We're going to talk a little bit about those rights in property. Uh, we call those police powers, you might remember, the policing powers of the government, and we'll talk more about those in a second. Uh, the, uh, in fact, here they are. The policing powers of the government are zoning ordinances, uh, building codes, and environmental legislation, the three broad areas where the federal, state, or local government can control, restrict the use, regulate the use of private-owned uh, properties. We also have subdivision regulations when we're talking about residential uh, uh, subdivisions in a particular area. There are specific regulations that apply to the development, control, and ongoing uh, ownership if you uh, live in a subdivision. On page 408, under zoning objectives, uh, they give you a detailed description of uh, the different types of uses that can be made for in a in any given community, and as they show you there, you know they they classify these with a, uh, and and relate the classification to a color coding system uh, that shows in a particular area what particular parcels of land can be used for, and uh, what I've shown you here on your slide is what that would really look like. Uh, and notice that up in the upper right hand corner is the legend. In this case, if we look at it closer, uh, it tells us these are the different specific types of uses. And this is a fairly simple one. Sometimes these can get very, very complicated. We have residential uses, uh, large, what they call estates, uh, single-family residences, could be multiple family. Uh, we have uh, a planned unit development district. Uh, we have uh, a place for mobile homes. Uh, then our, there's our village center district shopping district, uh, research, light industrial, etc. So in every community there will be a, you know, if you will, a map like this 
and the uh, uses are then coded to a legend. So if you're dealing with a, particularly if you're dealing with a commercial um, owner, a, a purchaser, or a commercial uh, tenant, uh, you'll want to make sure you uh, you understand zoning because they're affected a little bit more than a, an average uh, single-family um, individual who's buying or selling a single-family home. A commercial or d uh, uses and or investors and or developers are very much interested and concerned about uh, uh, zoning. Uh, PUD uh, might be an area where there are many different uses within that planned unit development. Buffer zones are uh, areas that screen residential areas for maybe non-residential areas. So in the picture down below, you might have these lakes and parkways separating that residential property from these industrial properties. Perhaps that's a shopping center there as well. So we have a buff buffer zone. Maybe it's a golf course. Now the right of the government to uh, control and police private property, in fact any anyone's property, uh, all, all property is subject to uh, police power as well as eminent domain. Uh, but these uh, rights that the government have are found in the uh, preamble of the Constitution, which uh, guarantees all people the right to health and safety and welfare, uh, and as well as the 14th Amendment that also kind of guards against our unreasonable uh, control and or seizure of our land from the government. So uh, based on that, uh, we can have uh, zoning ordinances, uh, but in order to pass constitution muster, they have to be done in a reasonable manner and they need to be clear and specific. Uh, they cannot be discriminatory in nature uh, and they must promote the health, safety, and welfare of the community. Uh, and of course apply to all property and property owners equally. The um, right of eminent domain or condemnation is the right of the government to come and take property uh, and it's, uh, it, the, the two qualifications are that it has to be for a public use or purpose and that just compensation must be given to the owner for the taking. Uh, the just compensation is if you're going to win a condemnation a suit against the government to keep them from taking property, uh, you don't win it typically on the just compensation. You're going to win it on showing that it's not for a public use or public purpose. Uh, the courts uh, will uh, will set any compensation uh, between the parties if they can't mutually agree to it. Uh, but uh, you you can't defeat it by saying uh, it, it, there's not just enough compensation for the property. You're not getting paid enough for the property. If you're going to defeat eminent domain, it has to be based on uh, you can prove that it's not for a public use or purpose. Inverse condemnation is simply where an owner goes to the government and demands that the government come and condemn it and take it and pay him off. And typically it's done because <coughs> the owner has suffered a loss, or the property value has suffered a loss as a result of some governmental act. So if you live along the side of a highway where the government came and, and took the land uh, for the highway, your property may be, uh, if you will, inversely um, affected by it. Therefore, you can actually go to the government and force them to buy your property as well, give you just compensation for whatever that's going to be, uh, and then you move out and give the, the, the property to the government. As you would suspect, uh, zoning permits are the first step 
for a developer if he were going to develop a uh, project in a particular community to make sure that it meets the you know use requirements and setback requirements, parking requirements, uh, sometimes aesthetic requirements that are needed in a particular area or uh, before a, a, a building can begin. Uh, sometimes zoning permits are uh, separately issued. Sometimes they're issued as part of the building permit process. A non-conforming use is a use whereby uh, we were using a property and then they changed the zoning. So because uh, we were using it prior to the enactment of the zoning ordinance, we may continue using it. So we have a grocery store in this case in a residential area and uh, now it's all been zoned for residential use. Our non-conforming use can continue. Uh, typically what happens is upon the sale of our non-conforming use, uh, sometimes for a, after a certain period of time uh, or if the property is destroyed then the new zoning comes into effect and we can no longer use it as an unconforming use. A conditional use permit is where we do ask for a change in the zoning. We want to use our use as a change from the zoning. So we go to the Zoning Board of Appeals and perhaps we want in a residential neighborhood that zoned all for residential use, we want to put a church or special use per, uh, special use property up. So we ask for a conditional or special use in that zoned area. And so we are granted a different zoning requirement that doesn't uh, adhere to the current zoning. A variance is where we're using a property in accordance with the local zoning zoning we, we just need to ask for a relaxation of the current zoning law so in this case here we have a property uh, and uh, we want to build a patio on the back the setback is typically 35 feet from the back of the house and of course when we build our faculty it's not going to uh, our, our patio it's not going to be 35 feet so we might ask for a variance where we can build our property and have the variance and have the zoning allow us a 15 foot setback rather than the 35 foot setback. Building codes are local ordinances uh, that deal with construction standards and uh, what we must uh, meet or exceed as we repair or erect a building. Uh, typically when we make a change to a building, we start construction of a building, we start uh, a, a, a job where we're going to uh, make some substantial repairs to a building, we get, an occupant, we get a building permit from the building department and then when we've met all of the building code requirements according to the building inspector who comes out and inspects us along the way when we're all done with it if we adhere to all the building codes then we're given an occupancy permit uh, at the end of this. Subdivision regulations. A subdivider is a person who de de develops un undeveloped acreage and, and makes it into smaller lots that are suitable for developers. Uh, the developer is the one that actually goes and improves the land. Often subdividers in development are different people. They do different jobs. Sometimes subdividers also do developing, but typically they're separate functions done by separate companies. Uh, when a developer comes in and subdivides land and then puts buildings on it, he wrecks a picture of the subdivision called a plan of subdivision where we show all the lots, all the blocks, street numbers, if you will, and uh, the dimensions of those lots. So a plat of subdivision is sort of a picture of that subdivision of the various parcels that are there, how big they are, where they're located, and what their names are.
Up until now, we have been discussing how the public controls the use of land, primarily through governmental institutions like zoning boards and local building uh, uh, departments, uh, zoning laws and building codes. Uh, let's not forget that uh, private individuals can also control the use of land. And they do it through what are called CCNRs. Uh, these uh, land uh, owners, either current owners or, or developers, uh, can place these restrictions and they're going to affect these CCNRs are going to affect future owners of the property. CCNRs standing for covenants, conditions, and restrictions of record. So before you purchase property, make sure that you, um, you know, Mr. Purchaser, uh, investigate the covenants and conditions and restrictions that apply to this property. Often you'll be given a book of these restrictions, either if it's a condo or if you're going to be moving into subdivisions, so you know what they are. Uh, they are a public record. They all have to be recorded. So they're there for the learning. These CCNRs in the subdivisions, they're created by what's called a master deed or a declaration of covenants. Again, it's going to be a recorded document. Uh, these are enforced by the homeowners associations by fine and or cease and desist orders. Uh, subdivision regulations uh, might include uh, you know, the square footage of the houses that have to be built there, or the architectural style of the particular area, construction methods perhaps. Um, they might regulate the height and the, the, the uh, uh, size of the buildings, but more typically these subdivision regulations for an owner to be concerned about are uh, whether they allow utilities, sheds, uh, whether uh, you can um, uh, have a, you know, TV antennas, uh, whether or not you can erect fences uh, and other uh, types of uh, restrictions that might affect subsequent purchasers. So, uh, you know, make sure before you take title, then you look into all of the different um, the different restrictions that some subdivider or some uh, developer put on the property before either the vacant lot was sold or before the completed building was sold, and you're now going to take title to. Of course, with condominiums, uh, you'll be given a declaration of restrictions before you move in the condominium. Uh, the, uh, the, those uh, restrictions uh, are uh, enforced by the condominium board uh, by fine and or foreclosure. They can foreclose on your unit uh, for the fines that you're uh, doing owing, or they can foreclose on your property because of the monthly, uh, your monthly assessments if you're not paying those. Uh, we regulate land sales in Illinois under the Illinois Land Sales Registration Act. Any developer, subdivider or developer, that's uh, selling more than uh, 25 uh, units that are contiguous must uh, register that subdivision with the state of Illinois, the Illinois Department of Professional Regulation. Uh, they must make sure that any purchaser of any of those lots gets a uh, uh, report on that property at least 48 hours before they sign a contract uh, that the property must be made available so that the department can come in and at any time and uh, make regular site operation inspections. Again, regulates mo more than 25 or uh, uh, lots, um, not less than 20 acres each.